podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another issue of the Anfield Index Transfer Rumor Show. I'm your host, Justin. Joining me as always is my partner in crime, the Carl Malone to my John Stockton, Tatiwa Chanakira. Tatiwa, how are you? <laughs> What's up, Justin? How are you doing, man? Yeah, yeah so basically, uh, before the show, we were trying to find another pairing to talk about, but I found one. Uh, be- Tatiwa pointed me in the direction of basketball. Uh, with Shaq and Kobe, but I had to find one where there wasn't any uh, some any lingering beefs. And uh, and joining uh, you know the pair of wolves that we are today, we've uh, we're joined by uh, by two scouts lads, not those scouts lads, but just two scouts lads. Uh, Gavin and Nick, how are you guys doing? Yeah, doing good, thanks. Yeah, great, thanks, mate. And uh, so we're we're nearing the end of the transfer window. It seems as if barring anything. Uh, you know, seismic. Liverpool isn't going to bring anybody in. Uh, but what we want to do is kind of discuss what we think about Liverpool's transfer business and uh, individually what we expect of those players. And then also go through the rest of the top six and see, you know, see whether or not we're a fan of the business they've done and what the, what this is going to add to their sides. But uh, I think the, the best place to start is with, uh, with, with Liverpool. And I guess the... Uh, the first place I actually want to go uh, before we actually get into the players we've actually signed are uh, in this transfer window, and this is a po- this is a topic that will be expanded upon at length in next week's pod. But Gavin, Nick, you know you don't get onto this show without having to be asked an absurdly insane question. Um, it's just part of the rules. <laughs> which uh, which transfer that we haven't made in the last twenty years is the one that you would have loved to insert into this squad? So Nick. I know, I know that that's a, it's a fun one, but you know, think of all the players who have been in the Babblecopter and then never landed it at Melwood. Which one of them do you, would you throw into this side? Oh, well, put me on the spot. Um, uh, I, I, Alexis Sanchez. I mean, I know he hasn't had the best of seasons last season, but I just think for the type of player he is, he could be great in our system if he was properly motivated. And, uh, and that one's an interesting one, too, because uh, Alexis, a lot of the reason, you know, people say that he went to Arsenal over us, even though we had the leverage of trying to swing Barcelona with, well, we have Suarez, who you want, was a lot of it's the rumor of that his wife, you know, or his girlfriend at the time wanted London. But I guess some of it also is the fact that you had Thier- um, Arsene Wenger, I was going to say Thierry Henry, but Ar- Arsene Wenger going to Rio to go talk to him during the 2014 World Cup. While Brendan Rodgers was nowhere to be found, the uh, the huge name manager manager went to go see him. Uh, the unknown one didn't, and I think that if that transfer was coming up at this time around with Klopp here, it would be a very different conversation. But um, Gavin, how about you? I'm going to go um, quite retro here. Uh, I don't know whether you uh, you probably don't know actually, but um, if you read, um, I think it was Phil Thompson's book I read. Um, when Gerald Julio had the uh, the heart problem, uh, Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo was actually available for transfer, and Liverpool looked at him at 12 million quid. Um, 
and they passed on him and he went to Man United. So uh, as good as our forward line is, I would take Ronaldo any day of the week. That's a shout. I uh, I happen to agree with you. Would be a great signing, and I do remember that. So yeah, it's, it's one that we absolutely missed. Tadiwa, how about you? After you know the heartbreak of Fakir, this transfer window, I have to go for a number ten. So I'm going to go with Christian Eriksen. I think um, he was a player that was touted around most of the Premier League and a lot of the clubs actually chose not to take him because the reports were he doesn't train well. Um, he doesn't really put as much effort in training as people would like. Um, I think with us missing a 10 to be, you know, that complete window, uh, I think he would be my shot. Yeah, and for, for me, it is um, the legendary rumored to be with us Every single window, uh, for about two dec, for about a half a decade, uh, I would like to have seen what Jurgen Klopp could have done with Ricardo Caresma's talent. Yes. Yeah. I think he would he have unlocked it. He was a bit of it. an enigma though at Chelsea, wasn't he? When he went, he didn't really perform, did he? They let him go after about two seasons, I think. He didn't, but once again, look who was managing Chelsea at the time. Yeah, well, yeah, fair enough. But. That's a fair comment. Yeah, but Bit of a hipster choice, though. <laughs> I, I I only make hipster choices. It's in it. fact, in the in the World Cup, I couldn't believe when he came onto the pitch. I was like, "Is this guy still playing?" Because it seems like it's been ages, absolutely ages, since we've been linked with him. It seems feels like it was in the nineties when we first got linked with him. Oh, absolutely, and and that's the uh, that's the funny part is there there were links to him across three managers. There were links to him across Julier. Across the entire, well, two managers, Julio and then the entire Benitez era was just yes. like, was linked. Yes, with him. the Benitez era felt like it was linked between him and then Simao. Yeah, <laughs> Simao. Poor Simao still sat on the uh, the tarmac on the runway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. But uh, speaking of players that have been uh, rumored to get, to be going to Liverpool for a long time and also seem to have been around forever, um, it gives us a good chance to talk about the uh, the first signing that I want to get into. Um, on this show, I build from the front. So, uh, Jordan Shakiri, 13 million pounds from newly relegated Stoke. Um, I guess the question is, what do you expect out of him? And, uh, do you, uh, and also, which cannon do you fire Charlie Adam out of? <laughs> Gavin, let's go to you first because you're cackling enough on it. Oh, uh, mate, I, I, I watched it. I watched him last night when I, when I got in and I was, wow, I was so, just so impressed. He just, he just looks, he ticks every box. I mean, I, I'm not even sure what the ceiling for him is because, uh, he's, he's quick, he's strong, he's, uh, good on the ball, he's, he can turn either way. His passing was exemplary yesterday. Every single pass that he put through was bang on the money and he can score and he can score free kicks. I mean, I'm not even sure we appreciate what we've actually signed. It could end up being some sort of transfer masterstroke. Um, I'm really, really pleased with him. He, he was fantastic. I don't know what you guys thought, but he was fantastic yesterday. Um, he, he seems like he can play. I mean, he played him as a false nine yesterday, which I was shocked at. He played as number 10 against Man United. Could he actually even play in the midfield as an eight? You question, questioning whether he's, he's got the work ethic for it. But, you know, right now, Satir, it wouldn't surprise me if he got tried there. Um, so yeah, absolutely fantastic signing and, you know, for the money, it's a steal. Yeah. And, uh, Nick, how, how about you? What, what are your expectations? Um, hi, to be honest with you. I think, um, he's going to prove a lot of people wrong. 
I think there was some doubters maybe about his attitude, uh, his work rate, his physique. Uh, but he's looked great. I mean, he's not looked like um, a bench player. He's looked very much like he'd be challenging for either one of the front three places or just behind that. And I've always liked him as a player. And we've been linked to him a few years ago as well. And I just think he ticks a lot of boxes. I mean, I love... There was one bit yesterday where he just went past the player like he wasn't there. Uh, I think it was a move on the left. And it was just the speed of feet was just... Got you off, got you off your seat, you know. And I was just... I just think that um, he could be the answer to a lot of our questions this season. He's a good set-piece taker as well. Cracking left foot. And he seems to want to be here. He seems to be, he seems to be really, really happy to be here, to be honest with you. So I do think that he's, he's going to do well this season. Yeah. And so, Tadima, what do you think that he does bring that we, that we don't have? And how do you think that he might add to that or change the squad? I know that we discussed kind of our expectations of him last week because we did speak about him at length because he had debuted last Saturday. Um, I didn't get to watch him yesterday, so I'm actually going to have to rely on your guys' opinions. But Tadima, um, you know, just, what is, it, what is he bringing? I think he's bringing, you know, that fourth player in that front three, so to speak, that player that can come in and actually do a job. Um, I know we've, we've always, and me personally, I've always wanted Sturridge to be that fourth person in that three. Um, and whether he's been fit or not, the, the, the truth of the matter is Klopp hasn't picked him. And then you look at the other guys that have been, you know, trying to debutize in that role. We've had the likes of Origi, Solanke, Ings, um, sometimes Lalana when he's, when he's asked to do a job in, you know, on the front line. And it, it just seemed like we didn't quite have that quality once Coutinho left, not necessarily as a creator as the number 10 or the traditional 10 we like to look at Coutinho as, but more as someone that can come in and you know, give the likes of Mane and Salah and Firmino a break and also still have the quality and the intelligence to play that position and play it well. Now, if you look at the beginning of last season, you know, um, there's a lot of talk of how, um, how we won a lot of games when Coutinho wasn't in the team. We won more games with Coutinho out the team than in it at the beginning of the season. And my argument with that was always the fact that Yes, but those the, those games, if you look at a lot of those games, the game before that, Coutinho was actually playing in the front three and it allowed one of those front three guys to rest. And then in the next game, that person became the focal point of the attack because they were the fresher player. So now we have a player in Shakiri that can come in and do that. And in terms of positions, you know, where exactly is he going to play? Um, as was mentioned before, he seems like a player that's, in a good way, arrogant enough to want to be, you know, in that front three. He's not coming here just to sit on the bench. He's going to, he's going to try and force his way into that team. And not just that, there aren't really set positions in our front three and, you know, specifically our front six that you don't really have a set position and you're going to be the, you know, striker. You're going to be the winger. There's going to be a lot of fluidity there. And it's just about making sure he has the attributes to play in and around those other two guys that might be playing with him up front, whether he's going to be the person that starts at the, at, at, you know, as the focal point up front. We've seen him do that as the false nine yesterday. Or we, we know from a Stoke days he can play on either wing. So I think it's just a quality option that's, you know, giving us that opportunity to add more depth, more quality without necessarily dropping the standard of the team, which is good to see. 
I think you have to remember, actually, that this guy was so highly rated back in the day when he came from Basel to Bayern Munich. He was the talent in Europe that everybody wanted, and Bayern Munich snatched him up. And the fact that his career's gone the way he's gone is kind of not really his fault. It's down to going to Bayern and being behind Robin and Ribery and not really getting a game. He's made a bad decision to go to Stoke, really, if you think about it. His, his ceiling's a lot higher than Stoke. And then he's had six months into Milan where it just hasn't worked out for him. So I, I, I just think we're, we're actually we're very lucky or intelligent in picking him up. I'm, I'm really excited about him. Gareth, do you not think actually, I know you said it's a bad decision to go to Stoke, but I actually think it ends up being a good decision because if he's gone to a Bayern Munich, he's gone to an Inter Milan and they're not giving him a chance, whereas at Stoke he actually got that chance. Would Liverpool be signing him if he had been at a bigger club and not necessarily getting to play week in, week out? I, just, I, what, I think what I meant was a bad decision is I wondered whether the, what, what had happened was his, his stock had, had fallen quite a lot because he had a bad six months at Inter Milan. And I just wondered whether he, he, he could have gone to a bigger club than Stoke at the time that he left Inter Milan. That's all. But obviously I know what you're saying and I completely agree with you. He's played uh, at Stoke a lot, but it, I mean, his stock actually isn't that high coming from Stoke, but what we're seeing on the pitch now is a, a very, very talented player, and I'm happy he's, he's with us, to be honest with you. So I guess the only thing that I want to really kind of ask, and there's a series of questions that we're all, that, that I'm going to make you answer about him and the rest of these, the rest of these players. But the first one is, he's obviously coming from a Premier League side, albeit a Premier League side that plays drastically different to how Liverpool play, particularly off the ball. Uh, how long do you expect it'll take him to kind of bed in with us? And does that Premier League experience help? Or considering how much more active we are off ball than Stoke, is it, do, sh- how much betting in time should we expect? So Nick, um, let me give you the first say on that one. Um, I think it will help from the extent that he'll understand the speed of the Premier League game, uh, just in terms of how quickly the ball's moved about. But we, we play such, a different style of football, you know, similar to um, the way Man City play, but not exactly the same. Um, so I think it, there will definitely be a period of adjustments. Uh, it's so difficult at the moment to kind of um, work out how he's going to fit into the side because as well as he's played, they are just friendly games, you know, on different sides, at different levels of fitness. But you can quite easily see him, you know, playing clever little passes, you know, into the front three equally. Um, coming in off the wing, slotting one in. I just think that it's one of them where the player's going to have to get used to him, he's going to have to get used to the players, but he does seem to be mixing very well with storage, spotting runs from Salah. It's all very promising. And I guess, uh, Gavin, the same to you. How long do you expect the betting in to take? I, I, I get what you're saying, Nick, about the... Um... You know, the best, he needs to get used to everyone. But to be honest with you, and I know it's only two preseason games, but you can kind of tell already that he's intelligent enough to to understand how we play and what's required of him. He, he seems to have just hit the ground running. And you get players like that sometimes. Some players do need a few months to bed in. He does. I don't think he does. And I think the it probably experience at Stoke has helped helped him do that. Um, one of the things that I was looking for, he's, he's renowned as a lazy player, but it's not something I've seen at the moment. Certainly seems to be doing his fair share of work and he seems to be pressing in the right manner as well, which is very important to Klopp. So, um, I, you know, I, I think he, 
I think we we can expect good things from him from the off, really. And Tadima, how long, how long do you think he's going to take? Yeah, with Shakiri, as as Gav has alluded to, I'm not too worried about how long it will take him to settle in. One because he seems to have that intelligence, and it's pr- it's a pretty good, you know. Um, training that he's had and development that he has. If you look at the clubs he's come from, I mean, Basel is renowned for being one of the better academies, you know, bringing players through, bringing um, tactically astute players as well. And then you look at Bayern Munich, you know, he would have gotten a lot of training there into Milan. Okay, Stoke, maybe not as as much, but at Stoke, I think he was, you know, one of the leaders, not necessarily one of the guys um, they're expecting to grow, more one of the guys helping others grow. Now, the important thing for Shakir is it's just is he able to get on the same wavelength as the boys up front? And it seems like he's been able to accomplish that, which you know, it it it, it bodes well. And in terms of how long it will get him to learn our system, you know, we were talking on the WhatsApp group, um, I think it was yesterday or so, and I did mention that he if you look at his playing, he's not being asked to do a lot in terms of tactically. He's sort of just trying to, I think they were saying, get some minutes under your legs and then also, you know, just see where you can see a pass and that type of thing. But from a tactical standpoint, I think he's been given a free reign. So it'll be interesting to see once he's now got instructions of what you have to do at a specific point in time, when we have to press. Because it's very easy to just go on your own and press. But there's certain times, if you listen to Klopp, there are times where he'll whistle or he'll gesture. And that's, you know, the signal for everyone to press. So it's just about learning those little nuances. Um, but I think if you're in a forward position, you're more, you, you know, you get a, given a bit more slack for not necessarily doing too well so early on on your defensive roles, whereas some of the other positions I think will get onto you, their tactical nuance is, is a bit more critical. Okay, so I guess the final question on Shakiri is an attacking player. I'm going to give you a series of three questions, and I want they're just all over-under questions. Uh, assume that we're probably going to play about 45 to 50 games as a minimum in all competitions. Uh, how many starts does Jordan Shakiri get? I'm going to set the number the uh, the number there at 19 and a half. And then, how many goals is he directly? How many goal involvements does he have directly being goals and assists? I'm going to set that at 14 and a half. Um, Tadiwa, you get to kick us off there. Um, this is starts. Hey, for appearances. For, starts, yeah. Um, I think he gets over 19 starts. I, I think. I think I, I'm assuming we're going to have a lot of cup runs because we are traditionally a cup team under Klopp. So I'm, I'm, I'm factoring that in. And then in terms of goal involvements, I think I, I would be happy if he gets uh, 14 goals or uh, and and or assists. I think that's a very solid first season for him, especially considering he's the fourth of the three. All right, and uh, Nick, how about you? Um, I agree with Tadia. I think he'll get more starts than what you said. It wouldn't even surprise me if he gets over 25 starts this season. Um, I think in terms of being involved with goals or goals themselves, I think 14 or 15, I think is, is a good, good realistic target for him. Obviously, we'll all be delighted if he beats that. And Gavin? I, I agree with the guys. Um, I definitely think he'll have over 19 starts. Yeah, 14 or 15 sounds about right. It wouldn't surprise me. It just depends. I mean, we're looking at it at the moment. The front three are all fit. So if one of those goes down, then um, 
then you can see him getting more starts and then his stats will go up. Can anyone tell me what, what's going on with the African Nations Cup this year? It's it's moved to the summer. So it has moved from this year to the summer. Correct. So it's not, it's not in, summer. Yeah, it's not in season. We don't lose... Uh, it, it, we'd be That would be bad for us. if they, it, It's good that they moved it out of the season. Is, is the nicest thing I could say. It helps Europe, doesn't it, completely? But yeah, I... I, I I definitely think he'll uh, he'll start more than nineteen games and he'll he'll contribute his fair share. Um, I, I think that he's going to start fewer actually, but I still think he's going to have more goal involvements than that. Justin, can I just bring something up? Actually, um, the last game of the season, we we changed our formation against Brighton and we played with um, four attackers instead of three. Do you think that that was something that Klopp? was looking at for the season moving forward against the sort of so-called lesser teams at Anfield. And in that case, Shakiri would play with all for, all three of them. No, I just think we were out of bodies. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I think that was just a case of being completely out of bodies because, I mean, if you look at what we brought into uh, Kiev, that was a bare-bones squad as to where, because of the injury to Salah, we had to throw Adam Lallana, who hadn't had an appearance in two months, and wasn't like you know had and hadn't had appearance of over twenty five minutes in two months, and definitely wasn't at game speed. So I think it was just more along what's available and what can we throw out there, and that's what he did. Okay. Yeah. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna move uh, back a little bit. Um, the player we signed last summer, who is now an incoming for this summer, Nabi Keita, uh, a player who this preseason when I've watched him, I've just been uh, continually impressed by him and. Really just want to see what he can do in a red shirt. Um, at a high level, Nick, what are your expectations of him? Um, I've got to be honest. I've seen bits and bobs of him, but I've not seen a whole lot. But everyone that seems to know football seems to rate the guy very highly. I mean, what I have seen of him, I really, really like. Um, he's comfortable on the ball. He can even run on the flanks. He's got a great touch, one-two, seems always aware of players around him. Some of the play yesterday um, on the left was just, it was beautiful. It really, really was. So it's very, very high expectations, to be honest with you. I'm very excited that we've got such a driving force through the midfield. Um, I'm just a little bit concerned maybe about his disciplinary records, given what um, he had in Germany. But apparently our referees in England uh, were a little bit more lenient. So I'm hoping that um, that won't be a concern, but that's the only little fly in the ointment I've got. And uh, Gavin, same question to you. What do you, what do you expect out of him? <clears throat> I've been really excited that Nabi's coming in, to be honest with you. He uh, he just seems like the perfect clock player. Uh, from what I've seen him in pre-season, he's had a bit of a disrupted pre-season, hasn't he? He's, list, he's missed, I think, two games. What I saw before he missed, he um, he had that absence, was was really good. Um, you know, linking up with Sturridge, some of his, his passing in the final third is so incisive and it's something we perhaps have missed since um, we lost Phil. So, um, yeah, really excited. Uh, Nick, I'm not as concerned with you, with his disciplinary record as perhaps you are because I'd, I'd actually kind of like a bit more shithousery in the middle middle of the park, to be honest with you, and I think he's definitely going to bring that. Um, he just he just ticks all the boxes. And- he's, um, he's good in every department. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, yesterday I watched him closely and I, I kind of expect a bit more from him, but he, like you say, he was neat and tidy and he did a few things. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's exciting. I, I'm looking forward to seeing him in the first game at, uh, at Anfield. 
And uh, Tadiwa, um, you know, it's a good question that's being raised around the disciplinary record because, you know, he was sent off a few, more times than you normally want to see a player in the Bundesliga last year. Do you think that he actually just adds an element of, like, bite and edge into the midfield that, you know, is missing under, you know, the the current construct of the midfield we have? Because I don't know who's really going to do anything snidey in our midfield outside maybe a James Milner. I actually think the, the more snide player will be Fabinho because he seems to get that position. But I, I know we'll get to him a little uh, later. But I know he, he seems to understand of either the player or the ball gets past me. I think with the navigator, the beauty about him is he's still so, I don't want to say raw, but he's still such an, you know, he's got so much potential there that you can use that aggression and use that sort of, in inverted commas, bite that people are saying that he has as being one of the triggers for the press. So it's not necessarily that he has to be the one doing the tackles, but maybe he has to use that energy to be the person that's blocking the lanes. So um, I, I, I share Gavin's sentiment in not having too much concern with it. I do think Klopp will be able to channel it a bit better than some of the other managers that um, Naby has had. And especially if you look at the systems that they've played. Yes, it's a similar pressing system at Leipzig than us, but it's not as um, organized or not as um, intentional as the Liverpool way of doing it. So I think it's just about making sure we use that energy, that um, that, that that snideness that he has for the better of the team. And as we've said, in the Premier League, he's going to get a bit more leeway. Now, it seems as if there's three things in his game that he really brings as a part of his game. A few of them, I think, are things that we have, and some of them, I think, are things that we're missing. So, like, the things we have is he's a very, very energetic player, which I think you could argue in our midfield, you know, across Henderson, say what you will about him, is an extraordinarily energetic player. Same, same goes for Milner, same goes for, same goes for Genie, and same goes for Lolana, which is why he's broken. But, um, I guess because Lalana just can't run. He's dead. Uh, this is this is my two seconds of attacking Lalana. He can't run. He can't move, and running hurts him. But uh, he adds. But he he also adds um, some creativity from both a dribbling and beating a player perspective, as well as also the fact that he's an extraordinarily creative passer. Which one of these three elements that he seems to bring in his game are do you think that this side needs most? Uh, so Tadiwa, I'm going to go to you on that one first. I'm going to say because of the fact that we haven't quite gotten the 10 yet, I'm going to have to say the creativeness. He's going to have to be the link between midfield and, and attack and try and bring that ball out of midfield and try and, you know, find those killer passes. Um, but the, the nice thing about him, I think, is he is such an unknown. So, you know, people look at him and, you know, unfortunately, there's one of those true things where you look at a short black player, most people are just going to assume, oh, he's a Kante. You know what I mean? Whereas if you actually watch his game, he's a lot more than that. So I think the exciting thing for me is, as you've mentioned, those three are completely different, you know, facets of a midfield game. And he happens to be able to exude all of them. So that's the most exciting thing for me is the fact that no one really knows how good he is. And he gets to come into the Premier League where they're going to be focusing on the front three. And he, he basically gets like, you know, a free, a free run at, at, at midfield. And, and Gavin, the same question over to you. Thanks, mate. Um, uh, Tadima, just, just on the fact that nobody knows <clears throat> who he is, 
Um, I don't know whether you know, but he's actually fifth favourite for player of the year uh, with all the bookies. So I, I think he's a known quantity. People are, are expecting massive things from him. Um, I think the thing I'm most excited about <clears throat> is um, is him in transition. Uh, Klopp loves players that get the ball in the midfield and can beat a couple of men and, and basically run very quickly and put the defence under pressure. And I think that's the thing that I'm most looking forward to seeing that first hand and I hope he does it in the first couple of games where he just basically beats a couple of men in the centre circle and takes them out of the game and that leaves us with so many so much space and options in front of him and then he can obviously pick a pass as well so it's just really exciting with Naby um, Klopp was desperate to get him in and Michael Edwards obviously understood how good a player he is so um, yeah I mean can't wait to see him really and, and Nick you know the same exact thought um, I've got to agree with Gav, really. Um, it's more the transition for me that excites me, you know, the running, the pace in the midfield. Um, I just think with our front three, we can really stretch teams, really push them back, and that will basically give Naby room to run into, to run onto. Um, the lad can pick a pass, he can score from, you know, distance. Um, I just think he's really going to bring an energy to our midfield that we've been lacking now for, for a while for me. Um, and I'm not going to like name four players to kind of compare them to, but um, in terms of energy, zipping the ball around, speeding up our general play, um, that's what I'm really excited about, to be honest with you. Um, the creativity, yes, but it's more, he's the type of player where he's like a, a deep-lying creative player in a way that can run with the ball and affect the front three. I, I think that's really his best position for me. But I'm very excited, full stop, got to be honest. Do you guys think that he's going to bring numbers? Justin, do you think he's going to score 10 goals, say, for, for argument's sake? I, I think I think that he's going to bring goal involvement, but I don't think we should. I think we should be relying on him for adding more goals from the midfield because that's something that we've clearly missed. But I don't expect him to, I don't expect him to score, uh, you know, 15 goals from midfield. I think that anything you get over seven or eight goals from him is, uh, like, you know, goal scored is going to be, uh, gravy. I think for him, it's more about the amount, the, you know, Brundish counts this, that, this, that, the hockey assists, as well as also just the direct assists that he's going to bring. I think he's, I think his, I think his addition to the squad is a lot more about goal creation and putting, putting other sides under pressure than it is about the finish. But, uh, like, and, it, and, and once again, that also depends on where he's going to play, too. Um, I think ideally he was brought in to play as a number eight. Uh, Tadiwa is right about the fact that I think that there are some really lazy comparisons of a player just seeing, you know, him they all of a sudden thinking, oh, he must be like in Golo contact. Cause the player that I, from watching him at Leipzig and watching how he kind of has played with us thus far, the player that he most looks like to me is any Iniesta. And I think that's actually the most fair positional comparison because of the fact that his game is actually quite similar as far as the kind of function he's played on Leipzig's side and the kind of function he likely will play with us. Now, is he is he an exact one-for-one for, one for Iniesta? No, because who, who is? Iniesta is one of the best players I've ever seen. But that's the role I expect him to play. Now, getting into what we expect from him, though, from a goal return this season, I have I have set an over-under at 10 goals. Do you think he scores more than 10 goals to Diwa? Is this goals and assists or just goals? Just goals. No, he doesn't score more than 10. Not for me. 
uh, as you've alluded to, he's going to be more a creator. And we've got, I think he, he acknowledges the fact that we've got the boys that have the firing power. So he's going to be looking to get them in and give them as many chances as possible. So then if we were to ask the question on the basis of assists, does he assist more than 10 goals this year? Yes, that, yeah. that I'll give him 10. Yeah, that, that I actually think he, I think his number for assists slash goals created is probably closer to 20 than it is to 10. Uh, but, uh, Gavin, same questions to you. Does he score more than 10 and does he create more than 10? He doesn't score more than 10. I'd be under 10. I, 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 uh, I brought this up on the last podcast I was on. I have a kind of a theory that, um, our midfielder, uh, it's kind of a thankless task playing in our midfield because they're there pretty much to just provide the ammunition to the front three. Uh, I don't expect numbers out of any of our midfield. It, it would have, um, it would be good. But um, there's a reason why our front three scored 92 goals last season and the, the midfield scored probably about 15. Um, that's because of the way we're set up and it, everything is, is engaged around creating space and creating passing angles for the front three to do their stuff. Uh, I think if we decided Fakir and played him in the midfield, it would have been the same. He wouldn't have got 22 goals. Um, but that's just my personal thing. So in terms of goals under 10, uh, in terms of assists, I think I could see him getting over 10. And Nick? Um, I'm going to caveat this a little bit, um, maybe try and cheat the system. I think um, if you played Naby as a number 10, which we're not going to, I don't think, I think that he would get over 10 goals over the season. But I think we couldn't afford to put him there because we've missed him too much from the midfield. So I think he's going to get less than 10. Um, but I do think that he'll, he'll probably get more than 10 assists. All right, so that so that's uh, our expectations for Nabi Keda. Uh, we're going to take a, a short break uh, for for an announcement and an advertisement from AI. But when we return, Allison Becker and Fabinho, some Brazilians. Hi, Jan. How are you? Um, is everything okay? Yeah, absolutely, Gags. Everything is fine. But you know what? I'm hearing you've got a special offer for Anfield Index Pro. Is that so? Yes, absolutely, and we've got your weekly show, Moby on the Spot, the popular stat show, Under Pressure, Post-Match Raw is now back, and loads of other shows available at our lowest price ever. Go on then, Gax. How cheap is that? Get this, mate, get this. It's absolutely free for seven days, and then only $39.99 for a whole year. New users can now sign up and access everything at AmphilIndexPro.com. I have to say, Gax... That is incredible news. i got to go. Where are you going? Well, to be fair, I need to go and tell Rushy about this offer. <laughs> Thanks. Whilst you're there, please let Rushy know that we accept all major credits and debit cards via the website. And not only that, we've now added PayPal too. And if you want an app option, then via iOS, you can purchase AI Pro through an in-app purchase. Jan? Jan? And we're back. So we've covered the uh, the two exports that are going to be probably contributing more in the attacking end. On the other hand, we've rebuilt our back with uh, some beautiful Brazilian bastards. The uh, the first one I want to talk about is Fabinho, the defensive midfielder. Um, signed from Monaco, basically, while well, nobody was paying attention. Uh, right after, in, in the wake of and the day after the, uh, the Champions League loss in Kiev slash my wedding. And so basically it was a great wedding present for me to see that we had signed Fabinho. Um, he is, uh, he shows up, uh, out of nowhere 
and addresses a position that I think some people would argue has been unfilled since Javier Mascherano left the club for Barcelona when he decided that playing for Roy Hodgson was something that he never wanted to do. Uh, I guess the question here is for, you know, positionally, does, how big is the hole that he fills and, you know, what do you, how, how long have we missed this defensive midfield player? Um, Gavin, why don't, why don't you take a crack at this one first? Yeah, thanks, mate. Congratulations on getting married, by the way. Thanks. Um, I, uh, I've, I've had a, I mean, wasn't it beautiful the way we signed him just out of the blue? It was, uh, it was fantastic. It, was, it seemed to take about an hour and a half where the, if you watched it on Twitter, he, uh, he's really impressed me in preseason. I have a theory that he won't be thrown straight in and he might be eased into it, but, um, I guess we'll have to say on that. One of the great things that I love about him is, um, <clears throat> he's so aware he nicks the ball off people all the time. A bit like, almost like the way Firmino does, um, where he comes back and he just nicks the ball off people when they're sort of dawdling. Um, so I really like the fact of that. The other thing that I love about him is he plays, he passes first time all the time. He's got pitches in his head, he's got his head's on a swivel, he's looking around. When he hasn't got the ball, he knows where everyone is. As soon as the ball comes to him, he plays it first time. And I have seen a big difference in our play already just from that. And this is only pre-season. Just wait till he gets in there, he gets to know where everyone likes to position themselves when we're defending, when we're attacking, and he'll understand the patterns of play that we uh, Klopp basically likes to lay down. So um, Fabinho, fantastic. We've needed a defensive midfielder. I think he fits the bill physically, looks perfect. So I'm really excited about him as well. And, and Nick, uh, what can you take from his performances thus far in the preseason as to about how he handles filling that role that we've, we've missed since Mascherano left? Uh, very encouraging, to be honest with you. Um, I like his positioning. He doesn't always have to run, you know, to get to where he needs to be. He just kind of positions himself on the field um, in the best position to intercept the ball. Uh, a little bit like Dietmar Haman like that. Um, and as, as Gavin said, um, I like how he'll nick the ball off people's toes. He doesn't always have to go in for a tackle. Um, and he's not afraid to do a little bit of a snide work either which we've been severely lacking for many, many years. I'm all for a little bit of snide in our team. Um, <laughs> he does he does the dirty work, you know, the bits and pieces that other players might not want to do, really. Um, and this isn't a Henderson bash or anything like that, but a lot of people who are fans of Henderson, the best thing they can say about Henderson when he plays in that deep position is how he starts attacks off and how he'll maybe zip the passes, a bit like Gerrard used to be. But in terms of actually covering the ground or doing the dirty work, that's something that's not Henderson's game. But this guy, he seems to have it. So very encouraging overall. Right. So I'm I'm a I'm a Henderson fan, and, and uh, but only Ooh. but only under one circumstance. He's never played as the deepest midfielder, and he's always pushed forward, so he has to run at the box. I only want to see him do that. I I never want to see him as the deepest midfielder. Can he do that anymore? Though I don't think he's got the fitness for it. Uh, you know what? I, I, who knows if he does, but basically I just want to take, I want to take advantage of the fact that the one elite attribute that Jordan Henderson has is pre, is the constant energy and pressing ability that he has. Whether or not he can make those runs behind, beyond anymore, I don't know. Um, I think his, I think his, I think his legs, you know, just don't hold out for that particular, his foot. But Tadiwa, I know that you wanted to talk wax philosophical about Fabinho's snidiness, so the floor is yours, Senator. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I do think um, we've needed a player that is first and foremost looking at how we're 
we're lining up defensively, what our shape is like in front of the back four. I mean, majority of our players, especially the ones that we had before he came in, even to the extent of the likes of Emre Chan, everyone has always been, how can I get forward first and foremost? Or how can I start, you know, attacks first and forward? Not necessarily how we, how is this going to affect how we defend? And you can see that sort of his mindset in the, the schooling that he has had at Monaco. He, you know, Klopp has mentioned that he drops a bit too deep, maybe for Klopp's liking, um, whenever we're attacking. So I think that's something that's going to need to be addressed before he starts, you know, getting thrown in, um, necessarily being, you know, one of the main traditional starters of the team. I think he still, he still needs to learn the position a bit more in a Klopp sense. But the two things that I have always thought about him and I think it's only fair to, to stick to that is the first thing that, um, that he told me or that I saw when we signed him was that, okay, that means Buvac is gone because he is not a Buvac type player. He's not a traditionally Klopp type player in that, you know, he is considered the defensive midfielder. They, they, they both liked a, a deep line playmaker like the, the Ruben Neves type where yes, he can do a job there if you ask him defensively, but his main role is actually to just be the facilitator, um, you know, help the, the, the two center backs out in starting our attacks. So for me, that was a Lind- uh, Pep Linder's type of signing. And that gave me the hint that, okay, Buvac is definitely on the way out. And then the second thing for me was, as Gavin had mentioned, was that he's not necessarily going to come in straight into the first team because he's coming from such a different style of play. He still needs to learn, you know, that role and the way Klopp's going to want him to play that role. And he seems intelligent enough and smart enough a defensive midfielder to be able to fulfill that role. So I, I personally think this season we won't necessarily see the best of him as he's still learning the role. But next season definitely is when I'm going to be more excited to, to and actually expecting him to make a bigger impact. Now, I guess one of, that's and that's a good question to ask is, you know, realistically, how long do we expect him to take to bed in? Partly because of the fact that obviously Monaco um, plays a very, very different style to us. And then also just in general, the French League is a bit slower uh, then the Premier League does actually, of, of the other big, uh, European leagues, it does seem to at least carry some of the physicality of the, uh, of the Premier League. Um, whether or not that's actually true, I, I, I don't know enough because I don't watch enough of the French League. Um, I am basing a lot of that on just how much teams beat up Neymar, which, uh, you know, I objectively think is a good thing. But I guess the question is, how long does it take for, uh, for him to bet in? And how long do you think, uh, we go before he's a regular starter for us. Uh, Nick, I'm going to go to you on for this one first. Uh, I honestly think that um, the deep lying midfield role for Liverpool, it'll be the hardest um, position to adapt to for a new player. Um, so I agree with the lads, to be honest with you. I think it's going to, um, he's not going to necessarily start the season, or if he does, it'll be because um, James Milner had the stitches in his head yesterday. Um, and I know a lot of people are thinking he's going to displace Henderson. Um, I'd hope he would, but I don't think he will, at least not to start off with. I think he's got to learn the role as it exists at Liverpool. And I agree with uh, Tadiwa, where he says that it's probably going to be next season before we start to see the best of him. Um, but I just think that with anything else, you've got to give it time. I just hope the fans are patient, um, because obviously it's a key role 
in front of the defence, in front of the back four and the goalkeeper, a protective role. And I think that he's going to be brilliant once he gets used to playing the way we need him to play. But it is going to take time. And Gavin, the same question to you. How long do you think that that bed-in period is going to take? I think... Um... I, I, I think when I said that, I think they'll, they'll let him have a look and they'll ease him in. I, I do agree with that, but I think he'll play. I mean, if you if you look at the, uh, we've kind of got a sort of a mini league at the beginning of the season. We have four games before the international break. If you look at that, I think he'll probably play two. He'll start two of those, game, those games. I, do, I kind of don't agree with the lads. I think um, in terms of him, we'll see the best of him next season. I definitely think you'll see the best of him in the second half of the season after New Year. Um, once he's, you know, he's had a little look and. And embedded in it, I seem to remember Dietmar Haman taking about three or four months just to to get up to speed, and after that he was fantastic. Um, but I I think we'll see the best of him this season, and he'll definitely be a crucial part of the team. I, I agree with Nick that I think Henderson will, will get his fair share of games. A lot of people expect um, Fabinho to have taken Henderson's place. I don't think that's the case. I, I do think you'll see Henderson playing as an eight instead of a six if Fabinho plays, and then you'll see. Um, for um, Henderson playing as a six as well, like uh, like he has been. So, um, yeah, I mean, nothing else really to add on that. And then to Diva, how uh, you know, we we you, you've mentioned you think it's going to take him a bit, but I guess that question is of that four game mini league, right? Four first games of the season. How many games does he start, or is the midfield we saw yesterday, uh, you know, Keita, Wijnaldum, and uh, James Milner? How how we're probably going to address those first four? Um, I, I think it would be smarter to go with as many of the players that finished off last season as possible just to, you know, it's not the toughest start in terms of, um, you know, positions or traditionally where teams would finish. So you, you want the guys that know how to play with each other that aren't going to be second guessing themselves, um, with regards to what kind of runs that other player makes or how they transition. Um, so you want to limit those. You've already got a new keeper coming in. Do you need two new midfielders in there? I think it would be, it would be quite a, an ask to ask both Cater and Fabinho to start. I think uh, get one of them to start and then you can always put Molna and Genie as we started uh, yesterday. Then you've got two guys that you know are going to do a job in there. Um, and if I had a choice between Cater and Fabinho of which of the midfielders, you know, the new midfielders to start, it would have to be Cater. Yeah, I would have to agree. Um, I, I don't think that there should be any cause for alarm if Fabinho is not in our starting lineup against West Ham. Uh, it's, it's really just, he, we've signed him for five years, I think. We don't need to worry about the fact that he's not in the lineup on the first day. I think Nick made the interesting point that, um, Milner's injury yesterday was a pr- pretty bad cut. Uh, he needed 15 stitches, and that could be the thing that basically tips it in the balance for uh, Fabinho for the West Ham game. As much as I'd like to see Fabinho start over James Milner, because he is a better player, James Milner is in fact made of iron, and I don't think that that's going to stop him. The thing is, though, they reckon that it can take up to two weeks to uh, uh, be able to head the ball after you've had that many stitches in your head. So even though uh, he is a machine, I just don't know whether Klopp would risk him this early in the season. When you have got another option to come in, that's I don't know. I, I I don't think he'll start. That's a fair point. That that is a fair point. And also, you know, as much as I think he's a machine, I also don't want to see James Milner do something stupid and hurt himself. But uh, I guess that brings us to the final signing of the uh, of the window, and the one that I think was probably saving Liverpool supporters the most uh, 
heart palpitations. Allison Becker, uh, Brazilian goalkeeper, purchased from AS Roma for the most money anybody's ever spent on a goalkeeper. I guess the question is, do, are, do any of you guys actually care how much money we spent on him, or would you have spent any amount of money to fix the issue to fix the issue that we had uh, between the sticks? Tadiwa, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to this this one. You know, this yours to start with. Um, I think purely because of the fact that Karius was in a no-win situation, um, anything he did on the pitch was either going to get a jeer or some sort of reaction. So there was no, you know, there was no way he was going to to be given a chance to even recover. So when you have that type of situation, then it's now looking at okay, who do we bring in? And Liverpool have done for so many years, you know, tried these project goalkeepers. You know, tried to do it the cheaper route, um, but and it hasn't really been as successful as we would have liked. And we've seen, you know, other teams like Chelsea and Man United bring goalkeepers in who have made such a massive difference to their seasons. So I think it was just time for Liverpool to, you know, bite the bullet and just pay what is needed for a top goalkeeper. And also remember with that um with that price tag of a 67 million um goalkeeper and the caliber of the goalkeeper we're bringing it's not just about he's going to be making a mistake because every goalkeeper makes a mistake the crucial thing is at that level when he makes a mistake he's going to be able to clear his head brushes you know dust himself off and be able to then carry on the rest of the game without even thinking about that mistake whereas i suppose some of these other goalkeepers we've tried to bring in if they make one mistake, we know they're going to be flustered for, you know, either the rest of the game or even for two or three games after that. Nick, coming off of what Tadi was saying, obviously nobody would confuse Simon Mignolet or Loris Carius for the most confident keepers that we have. Uh, how much does the Allison Becker signing, just from the fact that he looks like a big confident guy, um, and you know, obviously if he's, keep, he's keeping Ederson out of the Brazil side, he's clearly got some ability and is confident about his abilities as well. How much does, how much does that just, just the confidence that he brings help relieve your panic about our goalkeeping situation? Oh, massively. Um, obviously, um, it's early days yet and he's only played one friendly for us, but, uh, he does seem a really confident guy. Um, and you can never underestimate how much that will filter through the team. You know, I'm fed up of seeing nervous goalkeepers at Anfield. Um, I was a big Pepe Reina fan before uh, he went off the rails a little bit. And you can never underestimate having a confident goalkeeper between the sticks. Um, and I remember as well when Van Dijk came in in January, what a massive difference that made. And I know some people will say we still have a great defensive record with uh, Lovren and Matty. But for me, the difference when Van Dijk played, just that air of calm he brought was massive. And even just going by one friendly appearance yesterday, I'd say I'm very optimistic, to be honest with you. And I think in terms of the fee as well, um, we have paid a lot of money. My only slight concern over that would be the fact that he's only played one full season in Roma. I know he's Brazil's number one, um, but it's not the fee as much that would concern me. It's the fact that, um, as I say, is relative inexperience in the top flight. But I think we've bought the best goalkeeper we could that was available for the money at the moment. So I think um, from that extent uh, as well, I think if David De Gea gets sold, I think the price that he goes for could basically show that Allison could turn out to be a bargain in the long run. So when we look at Allison and we look at his game, clearly there's the fact that he's a great shot stopper 
he's very good with his feet and he seemed, and, and you know, at his size, uh, he should be able to cope with the, uh, the rigors of the Premier League, obviously being a league that involves a lot more crossing and high balls than Serie A. Um, which one of these, of these three particular aspects do you, do you, uh, most excite you as to how it fits into our team? Um, Gavin, I'm going to go to you on this one first. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, just listening to Nick, he's just about to complete sense. Um, everything he said, I agree with. Uh, the, the aspects he, he came for a couple of, I mean, Justin, you haven't had a chance to see the game yet, have you? But he came, uh, came for a couple of crosses yesterday and just completely bossed it. Just looked so confident. Um, one thing you will notice when you watch the game, Justin, is that his distribution was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, and I mean, shot stopping, he only had a couple of shots to do yesterday, but I think, I think one of the, his big strengths apparently is his mental state and he, he, he does get over, um, mistakes very quickly. Uh, and I think from what Nick's just said, his, um, we've basically gone out and bought the best keeper that was available. The money is completely irrelevant to me. It doesn't matter whether we've spent 65 million or 100 million. We needed to buy a keeper, someone who was, um, of a serious stock talent who's done it on the world stage. He plays for Brazil. And I think we've just gone out and bossed it. The money's irrelevant. They're not going to reduce my season ticket if they don't buy him. So, um, I'm just happy they've gone out and sorted what's been a problem position for a, a number of years. We've basically had projects which we've tried to turn into world class keepers and it hasn't worked for us. So yeah, really pleased that we've just gone out and sorted it. Yeah. Uh, as am I. Zidiwa, <clears throat> what do you think? Um, I think the, as, as has been mentioned, obviously it's distribution and everything, but I think one thing we have to take into consideration is you take the good with the bad of any player. And with a player like Allison, who is so comfortable with his feet, we have to anticipate that there are going to be quite a few, you know, <gasps> moments or close calls where, okay, dude, just kick the ball away. And I think it's just on us as fans to be patient and allow him to be, you know, the player that we bought. Obviously, there are going to be some times where he might get caught by a strike, uh, you know, a striker closing him down. He does like a, a, a cry turn every now and then, but you know, if he concedes one goal from a Crichton error, he's also going to help us maybe get three, four or five of really good distributions after a Crichton, sort of like the, the pass he gave to Salah. Um, for those that didn't watch the game yesterday, he sort of just gave a pass to, to Salah that Salah was able to run onto down the right wing. And, you know, about two minutes later, it ended up score, uh, scoring a goal. So there are going to be moments like that. Also, the fact that he's a front foot goalkeeper that likes to rush out. So I think it's just about us as fans educating ourselves on the type of player that Allison is and then just buying into it and saying, look, there are times where he's going to make mistakes, but more than not, he's going to actually, it's going to be a good thing that he plays like this for us. That's a really good point to do. Yeah. And so to wrap up, basically, how we're talking about our window, um, Let's uh let's go with uh two two numbers that I'm gonna throw out there over under so over under on amount of league goals surrendered by Allison thirty eight basically is are is, is are we are you gonna be a goal a game or better or better right so over or under that or and then also the amount of clean sheets twenty over or under uh, Nick I'm gonna go to you first um you'll definitely concede less than thirty eight I think um in terms of clean sheets. Yeah, I'm going to go over 20 as well. I'm, I'm very optimistic. I think he's going to, 
I just the main thing I want with him is save the save the shots he should save, and I think he will, and it'll be a nice change. So I'm very optimistic. And Gavin, the same to you. I agree with Nick. I think um, he will concede less than 38, and he'll do over 20 clean sheets. I think the thing you've got to understand as well is it's not just him; it's also the fact that you've got Fabinho in front of him and Naby Keita, which will probably add to, in a defensive aspect to the whole team. So, yeah, I agree with it. And then Tadiwa? I think there are a lot of times where we actually might win games maybe 3-1, then, you know, 2-0 or 1-0. So in terms of the clean sheets, I, unfortunately, I'm going to say under the 20 clean sheets one. But in terms of goals conceded, yeah, I, I don't see him conceding more than 38. And Justin, am I correct in saying you need to concede about around 32, between 30 and 35 to, for usually the, 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 the guys that win the Premier League? You're correct. I mean, basically, it, there's two ways of looking at it. It's either usually you're conceding between 30 and 32, or your goal difference is, I think, around the plus 40 range. Right? That's, okay, cool. Yeah, because you're usually outscoring your opponents by a goal, a, over a goal a game average difference uh, in, in the league. But I you think last season, uh, City only conceded twenty-seven goals. Yeah, I mean, which it, is amazing. <laughs> it's 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 nuts. They were they were very good considering the amount they scored too. I mean, twenty-seven goals for I think you know for other other sides that have won the league. Uh, when you look at their the amount that they surrender, it, it's you know it's usually typically closer to like the seventies, where City just scored so. I mean, City were the only attacking side that occasionally made us look pedestrian. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've got the, I've got the figures here. They scored 106 yeah. goals last season. Yeah, that's it's nuts. Also, also great that a, a Jose Mourinho doesn't get to have the record for having the the most prestigious attacking side in Premier League history, which is yeah, nice. it's a shame. That. It's was that his Chelsea team years ago? Yeah, yeah, the 2004-2005 Chelsea team. Yeah. But uh, we're going to quickly just now go over our rivals. Um, the t- I'm only going to restrict this to the top six. So we're going to start with Arsenal. Didn't really. I mean, Santi Casorla and Jack Wilshere, they're big losses. Uh, Casorla, though, hasn't played a game in two and a half seasons, which is also subsequently the last time Arsenal had a functional midfield. Um, but Arsenal have brought in Bert, um, Bernard Leno, uh, 19, 19.3 million. Uh, the, the chalk outline of Stefan Lichtensteiner from Juventus for free. Uh, Matteo Ganduzzi from Lorient, uh, for an undisclosed fee. Lucas Torreira from Sampdoria for 26, uh, Million and Socrates from uh, Borussia Dortmund for an undisclosed amount. Uh, how much? What do, you, what do you think those signings do for them? That's obviously very much a side in transition from having Wenger there for twenty years and have now gone to Unai Emery. Um, to Diwa, I'll give you the first word here. I actually like what Arsenal have done this window. Um, maybe not so much, you know, to to the quality extent that they would have liked to, but you can see. Um, you know, I definitely came in with a game plan knowing what he needed to address. You know, if you look at Lichtsteiner, um, Bellerin has sort of regressed every season since he started, which, which is quite a strange one. So they did need maybe a, a right back that can mentor Bellerin and, and, you know, help him along to, to develop now. Uh, if, in terms of goalkeeping, look, Leno, <sighs> He, he's one of the young German keepers that are going to be contending, you know, to try and replace Neuer in the future. For me, he does concede quite a lot of goals from his own errors. So I think that's something that they're going to need to pay attention to as Arsenal. 
Um, but they did need someone to come in and replace Czech who, you know, when they bought him, he was already regressing. So it, it was, it's kind of downhill from there. In terms of Torreya, they've got a, a gem there and he's going to be able to play, you know, be that guy that, that Santi replacement sort of where everything's going to come through him in midfield. I do wonder if he's going to be able to play with Xhaka or how they're going to sort that dynamic out. Um, yeah, I think, I think they, they're set for a, a top four finish with the, the way they've set their team up. Basically, it's just their attack that's going to be dragging the rest of their team through the season. And it's just a matter of did they buy enough defensive cover to be able to hold on to that top four position for me. And then, uh, Nick, how do, you, how do you feel about their business? Um, similar, to be honest with you. I think it's been a sensible window um, without anything to excite. You know, there's some shrewd purchases there. Uh, Leno is an improvement on Czech, uh, Terea, uh, highly rated, should probably be their best midfielder right away. Um, I'm still not concerned at centre back, bit of a soft centre. Have they got the players to get back into the top four? I've got to agree, disagree, sorry with it today. Um, I don't think they have, um, and especially with the Europa League. Um, I think they might fall short again. Well, I'd, I'd say after Liverpool, uh, in terms of the top six, I'd say they've had the best transfer window by far. And Kevin? Yeah, I mean, uh, just looking at their transfer business, I think Leno is, I don't think he's an upgrade on, on Czech. I think he's about the same level. He is quite Aaron Pro. Um, Torreira is a, a really good signing for them. They've also, they're trying to get in Zonzi as well. Um, and I think that would give them a lot of physicality and steel in the middle of the park, something they've missed. Well, Granite Zaka was supposed to do that, and I don't think he really has. Um, I'm a little bit worried about Arsenal um, from the point of view that I think they're a bit of an unknown um, unknown quantity. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think they can get top four, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they missed just, uh, just out on getting fifth or sixth again. Hey, I just think their squad's in a lot of disrepair, so I think top four is a tall ask, but they might get it going back in the right direction. Uh, we're going to move now to the uh, stay within London. Chelsea Football Club have added Robert Green for free. And, you know, I was making the chalk outline of Stefan Lichtsteiner joke, but uh, Robert Green is, in fact, 39 years old and has also never been good. And, uh, George, <laughs> and also Jorginho from Napoli, who is a player who we were actually linked with during the season and then seemingly was, had his heart set on going to, uh, City until he didn't. And, uh, an apology actually had to be handed out from Napoli to, uh, to Manchester City. Um, this, Chelsea once again is another side in, in some clear transition. Uh, Conte's ultra defensive approach and, uh, going to, uh, Mauricio Sarri's very, very attack-heavy, uh, you know, way of playing. Obviously, Chelsea are rumored to have to be losing potentially both Hazard and Courtois in this window. Um, ha- ha- what do you, what can you possibly make of Chelsea's transfer business, Nick? Um, I'm quite pleased with how uh, disastrous it's all going at Chelsea after them having that um, influx of money from, shall we say, dubious sources over the years, allegedly. Um, they seem to be imploding. Um, they could lose Courtois, as you say, fingers crossed. Uh, Hazard, uh, he's not very loyal, is he? wants to go to Real Madrid. Willian apparently hasn't been turning up to training. Um, and there's only like a week to go. It, it appears to have been a surprise to all these clubs that the transfer window's closing early, even though they've all voted for it. Um, as you say, the switch to a, a back four and more of an attacking 
uh, team from Sari. I think it's just going to be a transition season for, from Chelsea. And to be honest with you, obviously there's a week to go. They might make some signings to make me, me words. But at the moment, I can see them again finishing outside the top four. And Gavin, over to you. Um, I think Chelsea, the crucial thing for Chelsea transfer-wise is to keep hold of their players. Um, there's rumours that Kante might be going out. It's William, uh, Courtois and Hazard. If they can keep all four of those players, I think they'll be a str- uh, they'll be strong again. I think Sarri's going to bring in a different style. Like you say, he's very attacking. Um, they'll score goals. They've got defenders at the back who will keep them out. And if Courtois stays, they'll, they'll definitely keep goals out. So I think they could be a threat. You know, I think underestimate them at your peril. Yeah, to do the same to you. Um, I think the you know I did get a fright when I looked at the the page that tells you you know how many transfers they've had, only to realise about eleven or so of them were players coming back from loan. So I thought I thought I'd <laughs> missed quite a lot of business somehow. <laughs> but um, in terms of the business they have done, I do think as as has been mentioned, they are one of the clubs in transition. I think. It's going to be interesting to see how these players, uh, you know, adapt. And I think all the players that have come in are going to be players that help Sarri to reinvent that Chelsea team. I mean, Chelsea for years now has been quite a defensively solid team. And then all of a sudden they're bringing in a manager who is, I suppose, traditionally more attacking minded. So it'll be interesting to see how they're going to be able to bed them in. In terms of Jorginho, he's a great player. Um, I think he's going to do pretty well for them. If you look in preseason, he's actually been the focal point for them and not necessarily Fabregas, which I suppose is going to be a shift in the way they play there because I suppose Fabregas has always been, if he's on the pitch, he's the go-to guy. But all of the players there have been leaning on, and I think they have been told to lean on Jorginho just so that you know he can help them bed in. In terms of Rob Green, I think it was purely uh, trying to get their British quota up, to be honest. Um, I don't see him having necessarily a big impact. Um, yeah, I, I'm expecting them to still do business considering there's a lot of people that, you know, that want to leave there, especially high end players in Courtois. I know Real Madrid are still trying to work a deal there. It's just a matter of Courtois really wants to go back to Madrid. He doesn't care which Madrid side, mind you, but he needs to get back to Madrid for his family, his girlfriend, and, you know, just his life in general. He wants to be back there. In terms of, um, Eden Hazard, he is one of the players that Real Madrid have at their back pocket in terms of players they want to bring in. They have an agreement, an unwritten, you know, agreement with PSG that they won't be touching Mbappe or Neymar this season. They're trying to work out a deal now. It, it won't be made official like a cater type deal, but they, they, they do talk. Um, they're trying to work out how they're going to get Neymar to Real Madrid. Um, Real Madrid did help get Neymar away from Barcelona for PSG. So it's one of those where they've ushered Ronaldo out. Neymar's going to come in and be the focal point for them. So it'll be interesting to see how they eventually finalize that deal. But that's the plan. Um, in terms of Willian, he left the, the FA Cup, um, celebrations early when everyone else was still in the dressing room. He left, got in a car, you know, and drove away. So it's, he's been unhappy there for quite a long while. He, he basically will go anywhere that will take him right now. It's just Chelsea are asking for way too much money, um, well, way more than anyone's willing to pay. Whether or not he gets his move, uh, I guess we'll find out. But he is someone, you know, do you really want someone at the club that doesn't want to be there? That's going to be interesting to see how they play that. It should. Um, I, I'm just intrigued to see also just how they manage the transition and 
and effectively also how they manage what might be the uh, the transition away from Abramovich owning the club. But uh, we're going to move on to to both Manchester sides now because there's not a ton of business done by both. Um, though City only real move of consequence is breaking their transfer budget, uh, their their transfer uh, record to sign Riyad Mahrez from from Leicester, a, a signing that was rumored, you know, three or four times now that's finally gone through. And then Manchester United have brought in Fred from Shakhtar Donetsk and Diego Dalot from uh, Porto. They've also brought in Lee Grant as a backup keeper from Stoke and are also now rumored to be bringing in Toby Alderweireld. Uh, do we, it's tough to really see how the United signings improved them that much considering how defensive they already were and how good at being already defensive they were. Uh, plus Mourinho seems to show really effectively no balls and how he wants to play. Uh, for City, it just seems like Mares is just another another attacking option in an area where they already had some riches. I guess, really, what else can you think of these signings? Is there anything that I've missed in uh, in discussing them, uh, Nick? Um, City had a, a, such a strong squad last season anyway, to be honest with you. Um, for me, they really could do with a, another central midfielder. Um, Fernandinho, great player, but getting on a little bit. Looked like he was struggling a bit towards the end of last season. Um, you got Vincent Company who gets injured uh, quite a lot. John Stones, I'm not convinced on. So I think they could have done with um, another centre back really, and also um, another central midfielder. As you say, they're blessed with um, riches really in terms of attacking midfield players and attacking forwards. Um, but yeah, City is still the same. It's the ones to beat for me next season. I've got to be honest. Um, I don't know whether you want to talk. Did you, did you ask me about United as well? I yeah, go go right just... go right ahead. Also, you know, Fred Dallo, um, Do they you know do they really change the formula there? Yeah, I think you're spot on. To be honest with you, um, they've bought players to strengthen an area that they were already strong in uh, last season. United had the second best defensive record in the league with 28 goals conceded. Uh, they bought a promising right back who I'm sure Jose will ruin. Uh, with any luck, and Fred, who's highly acclaimed, but again, defensively, they were already quite good. I think the, the balance of the midfield with United is, is wrong. Long may it continue. And I think that they also need a right winger who will work up and down. You know, someone like Willian. Um, and again, they just look very, very unbalanced, United. And if this is their business, even if they get in, uh, Alderweireld, Alderweireld, well, can't even say the guy's name. Uh, I just think that uh, it's strengthening areas that are already quite strong, given Mourinho's negative defensive uh, setup. And I'll be very happy if that's where their transfer business ends. And uh, Gavin, how do you feel about the two Manchester sides? Um, just just picking up on United, I think obviously there's a lot of uh, rumour at the moment about uh, Alderweireld and, uh, and Harry Maguire. Uh, I think if they could get one of them, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to get one of those um, that will help. Uh, as good as they were at the back, I think the part of the problem is, is that David De Gea makes so many saves for them. He made more saves than anyone out of the top six. So the defence is a little bit of a problem for them um, because the people are getting through far too often. I think if he could get a, a commanding centre-back um, like Maguire or Alderweireld, then that will probably sort them out. Uh, and what you then look at is uh, releasing the full-backs so that they can go and join in. I have actually watched United a couple of times and they've been playing three at the back uh, with win-backs and that would suit um, Ashley Young and Valencia. Um, 
So I don't know whether that's something he's moving, he's, he's going to try moving forward. But I think looking at their players, I think three at the back would actually suit them. Um, I think they probably, like you say, they look quite imbalanced. Marshall's definitely going. So I think they'll be looking at bringing in another winger. Maybe it'll be William. It might be a forward. I don't know. But, um, uh, they definitely need players. Uh, they're not really concerning me at the moment. And the unrest that is going on amongst the fans, Mourinho looks miserable. Uh, and if they finish the, this week without getting anyone in, that would be amazing. But I can't imagine that's going to happen. So we'll have to wait and see on developments for that. Man City, strongest team in the league last year, 100 points. If you look at their business in isolation, they've signed one player. So you, you're kind of not impressed by that. But they don't really need an awful lot. Uh, I agree with Nick that perhaps they could have bought a centre-back. But don't forget they signed um, the guy from Atletico Madrid, who's named Laporte. Um, and he didn't really play as a centre-back for them last season. He kind of played at, at left-back. And they've got um, uh, Benjamin Mende coming back, who played nothing at all last season. So you, they're going to be strong against City. They're going to be the, um, uh, the you know, the, the, per, the, the team to beat. And I think a lot of the top six have got to claw points back off them if, if, uh, if any of the top six are going to have any chance of, of getting near them, basically. Tadiwa, how about you? Yeah, I think um in terms of the the Premier League itself, you know, if you look at the gap between what Man City did and what, you know, second place Man United did, Man United were about nineteen points behind them. Um we were I think about twenty five or something ridiculous like that. Now the, that means the onus was on every other club to try and catch up to City, not necessarily for City to, you know, go and do another big transfer window like they did last season. I think it looks like a lot of these clubs are taking these big transfer windows every two years. So, for example, don't expect to have another big transfer window next season for Liverpool. Whereas for this season, it seems like all the other clubs did most of their business last season and they were just now looking to plug the gaps. In terms of transfers for City, I think Mahrez is obviously they wanted that 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 Alexis Sanchez or Mahrez type player just to add a bit more quality, not that they're showing quality in those forward areas, but just to further stamp their authority. I think that type of signing allows them to then go and challenge for both a Premier League and go, you know, all out for it for a Champions League, which is something that I think they're in both seasons they've fallen short, um, not necessarily for quality, just I suppose numbers of quality in terms of can they focus fully on a Champions League run and not have to worry too much about who they're bringing in to fire them, you know, in, in, in the Premier League? So I think Morris is a clever signing for them. We can't really judge on what he's done in preseason because he hasn't played with, you know, most of their starting players, but in preseason he's played as the 10. Uh, I don't know if that's going to, that's going to happen a lot in the season. Um, in terms of, United, yeah, as, as has been said, Man City, they're going to be strong. They're the team to beat. It's on all of us to try and go and beat them. In terms of Man United, looking at their signings, Delot is, he is a very good young right back, one of the best prospects at right back, actually, um, in world football. So it's a good signing for United. From his perspective, to be fair, I suppose, if you're a defender coming into a Mourinho team, you could argue that, you know, I'm in one of the better places to learn. But um, with the, the, the dynamics that are happening at that club, the chemistry, I don't know if it's the right environment for him to necessarily grow. Um, so we'll see how he develops. In terms of Fred, I think it's more trying to get as much out of Pogba as possible. They were looking for a player who can alleviate a lot of that 
responsibility that Pogba was was being asked to to fulfill in midfield. It's it's interesting because having said that, Mourinho and Pogba have been clashing heads. You know, it started last season. It hasn't stopped throughout preseason. They've both been taking sly digs at each other. So whether or not they can, you know, one of them is going to need to swallow their pride. I think if they're clever, Paul Pogba should be the point of that United team. And then you've got the guys like Lukaku who can finish. You know, you can't argue with the fact that he does get goals in the Premier League. First touch or not, he still ends up getting 20 goals a season. Um, whereas Pogba, look, we all like to take jibes at United players and stuff like that. And, you know, some people say Pogba isn't a great player, but he's shown at Juventus and he's shown for France that there is a world-class player in there. He has the potential to be world-class. Whether United are giving him the opportunity to do that, this Fred signing is going to be, you know, answering a lot of those questions. So it will be interesting to see. But in terms of have they done enough, I don't think they've done enough to... I think we've closed the gap on them. As I said when I was looking at the table, of whether we've closed points on those type of players. There were six points ahead of us. I think we've done enough in our window uh, compared to their window uh, the Aldevert signing, it doesn't bother me too much. It's another aging player that's going to be taking a position from a younger player in a Mourinho team. We've seen how those happen, you know, how those go. And especially in a third season, Mourinho has to be one of my favorite things in world football, especially considering he's going to be third season Mourinho at Man United. Yeah, and I guess this brings us to the last side of the big six that isn't us. And it's the easiest one to cover. Because we can just laugh at the fact that they've done nothing. Ha ha, Tottenham. <laughs> we don't I'm going to say Everton. They're top six. They're on the top six yeah. side. Oh, you might want to tell them that, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess and this this brings us to the end. Um, before we go, Nick, Gavin, you guys are new voices on Anfield Index. Where can people find you? And is there anything you know that you guys are working on that you want to uh, plug? Hey, go on, Gav. You go first, mate. Um, my um. Twitter profile is Gavin Jones Live. Um, got nothing to plug at all, mate. And uh, Nick? Um, I'm Socky on Twitter. That's uh, S0CCY. I've just done an article which should be coming out today about um, how we can't rely on Daniel Sturridge. Um, that he should be a bonus rather than um, the player that comes in and out for Firmino. So hopefully that will get some debate going. Um, as I say, that, that's it really. And Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And Tadiwa, we're, we're going to do this next week. Uh, we, have, we have a we have a fun uh, theme plan. But in the interim, anything that you're working on, and anything, any, you know, anything you want to draw attention to? Yeah, definitely. Um, on Twitter, the Twitter handle is the Ace of Nave Seven. Uh, in terms of podcasts, I think it's dropping tomorrow. I did a Money Talks podcast with Mo Chatra. We basically broke down. Um, transfer agreement, player contracts. Um, I, I was just, yeah, talking to him about how the player contracts, um, come about, how the signings come about from a legal perspective, the types of clauses that go into contracts. Um, we, you know, I sent him some, you know, a, a player contract and a transfer agreement. Obviously discretion, you know, we, we, we sorted that out. Um, but just for, for fans to see and to hear what goes into a player's contract, what goes into a transfer agreement, the type of clauses that go into it. And then, obviously, we were able to discuss the Nabil Fakir situation, what exactly were the issues 
for Liverpool, you know, obviously speculating, but looking at the type of, you know, um, permanent injury clauses that go into these player contracts and what Liverpool are trying to do with that. Also looking at, you know, the insurance policy and the, the medical scheme that Liverpool would need to try and get um, going for Fakir and just explaining, you know, that situation in the context of having, a, you know, a contract in front of us and looking at how these things work and showing that, you know, it, it definitely wasn't a deal that could have been hashed out within like two days after, you know, the failed medical because it, there was just way too much that would have needed to be renegotiated and signed off. So it, it's a very interesting pod. Um, yeah. So that, that, that's my plug for this week. Yeah, I mean, if you want to listen to, uh, you know, a good legal mind who also wants to watch the world burn, Tadiba is your man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, th- thanks thanks from us. Uh, we'll be back at you next week, and uh, have a good one. Network.